0: Can we open up to Matthew chapter 5, starting in the 17th verse? Who I am is actually the wrong title. Forgive me. That's my fault. It's actually the danger with anger. Can you say with me, the danger with anger? Starting in the 17th verse. Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while he is going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid to the last penny. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you. You are the Prince of Peace. You are Shalom. And the human heart really doesn't know peace from angry thoughts peace from resentment peace from animosity until they truly come and rest in you the king of peace God we can dress it up we can try to run away from it we can suppress it we can vent but God only you can transform the depth of our heart to relinquish this anger that resides in human beings father God Even so much so that a brother will be angry with a brother, a sister with a sister, as Cain murdered Abel. Help us, Father God. Remove the bitterness out of our heart. Remove the old man. Remove the tensions that exist within us, Father God. Let this be a year of genuinely new business with the Lord. I pray, Father God, if anybody is in this room and anger has been an issue in their heart, I pray that you set them free. Let the be, today be the beginning of being set free from this malady of the heart, Father God, that just, it ruins every area of life vertically with you, so much so that we have to leave the gift at the altar. Before we can be vertically restored to you, we have to go quickly to our brother and be horizontally reconciled to them. Help us, Father God, in this endeavor. In Jesus' name. I really want to share my heart today when it comes to anger. And I've been thinking about a new year's message, I was sharing with John a couple of things I wanted to share, I actually wanted to share about the, the year of Jubilee uh, in the Old Testament but as I was studying it out, it's a little too technical and I, I didn't want to address that issue today, but what was really on my heart is, how do we deal with old business, how do we go into a new year and you know, with all the hope and promises that, but we bring the old stuff with us, you know, and as a pastor I really believe that anger undealt with properly dealt with anger in our heart just ruins everything i mean how can i have genuine fellowship with god while i harbor angers in my heart and or resentment whether they're real or perceived i'm not even getting into that because a lot of things we hold on to might not be as real as we think it might just be perception miscommunication so on and so forth i i think uh we have to take a page out of America's Handbook, Corporate America's Handbook. Before we can move on into new business, we always go over the old business first. Let's make sure that all old business is taken care of. You know, in a relationship with God, I feel that sometimes. I feel like some people just don't really have dealt with the depth of the, the anger button, I want to call it, that's in us. And and we all have it. It's, it's part of human nature. We live in a world that's, that's tense. It really is. You know, we have... We're trying to, whatever it might be, but we live in a tense world. And a lack of maturity in the Christian faith can leave us at the the disposal of angry emotions. Anger is a killer. There's no question about it. It kills both self and others. It holds us hostage. It holds other people's hostage. And and, and one of the characteristics of it is it kills slowly and it kills quickly. But it kills. Anger hurts. And I want to drive that home today because it really has no place in a Christian's heart. So much so that Jesus is getting underneath the skin over here when we get into the text. How can you really, how can we properly worship God? Worship. Do you know you exist? You're here. You exist as human beings to worship God. As a matter of fact, you don't live. No one lives at all. Nobody lives until they enter into worship of God. What does a profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And it's not until we're redeemed that we come into the family of worship. And no one outside of a Christian can really genuinely say, I've lived. You can't say, those aren't my words. That's what it means to be born again. But yet we can sabotage this life of worship to God. And that's what Christianity is. It's a life of worship to God. It's not rules. It's not regulations. It's not do's. It's not don'ts. It's not getting better. It's not behavioral modification. It's it's, it's none of that kind of stuff. It is worship. It is worship. I tell you now, if we're lacking anything in our life, if you hear today saying, I wish I had more, it's a lack of worship. It's not a lack of trying harder. It's not a lack of needing something more. I truly believe it's a lack of worship. When we come to recognize that we're called to worship God in spirit and what? Is that on Sunday? Is that on Monday? When is that? Is it 24-7? So don't we have access to 24-7 worship to God? Don't we need God to do a work in the impediments of our heart that stop genuine worship? And I think anger is something that really stops people from entering into genuine worship. Prolonged periods of worshiping God just out of a simple song in your heart and and. And it's in that place that transformation takes. I really believe that. When I looked at my own Christian life and everything that really had really taken place in transformation, it wasn't because I tried harder, I'm going to read more of the Bible. Listen, reading is, is part. You know, We worship God intellectually. So we have to take information in. And information, when it's rightly understood and applied, helps me love God more than others. I mean, now we need theology. And I need to feel the presence of God. My affections are meant for God. But it's in worship that the genuine transformation takes place. I heard a pastor of ours many years ago say that the Holy Spirit can do more in five minutes of worship than all the counseling in the world. And he was a counselor. He was a pastoral counselor. He's right. And And it stuck to me and my wife as we sat there. And he said that. That meant so much to us. Anger. It can kill slowly. It can kill quickly but it will kill and it has a sidekick resentment it, it hangs around you know what I mean it's not mainly the anger but it's the resentment and that's like the pilot light it's like uh, we, we just got this place and it has a fireplace in it you know one of those fake fireplaces and, and it looks nice but it's not on and, and you get close and I remember looking at it and said what is this thing he said, oh he just pushed the button <laughs> boom The fire came This is nice. (laughs) Then you push the button and guess what? It turns off. off. (laughs) But it's not off. There's a pilot light. Just like the stove. That's how resentment and anger is. It's got to be dealt with. And sometimes it's like a pilot light. And if you push the right, (laughs) what a crew we got. And we all have buttons, don't we? We've we got we to gotta guard the button of our heart. we got to guard those things that just drive us right from pilot light to instant flame. And that's what anger is. Anger is, but you know when you it's interesting looking up into the Websters or looking into a dictionary and looking for, in, in, in the Greek dictionaries about the definition of anger. You know it doesn't give you a definition. It doesn't give you an emotional side. It doesn't say anger is this. It just says angry person. Or infuriated. But it doesn't say what's going on. You know why? Because it identifies itself. It's self-explanatory. You don't have to say you know something. You're going through an emotional thing in the chemistry in your body, no the hormones, you're making your angry. No, you're angry. And it's usually towards another human being. And I don't want to see anyone live under that you know and i've been telling my wife man for the, probably for the last two years and you know, as we're getting older we're 56 57 you know and i love this woman and she loves me and you know i just i cannot live in arguments i can't live in who. i, I can't live there i can't live with the tension it's just, life is just too short I don't know about you, but I'm waking up every morning. Then guess what? I feel like I'm waking up again. Then I feel like I'm waking up again. And life is just going by. And it's like, I can't waste any time. I, I don't want to waste one moment on resentment and anger. And I'm just using the, a husband-wife dynamic. But towards anybody, it steals worship of God. And I'm going to be honest. God has done a great work in my heart towards that. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a button I have. It's that bus, that that pilot button. That's when people open up the door of the car and do what? Throw garbage out. That is like, that's insane. So I'm crossing the street the other day, and the guy, the beat, the music, he's got the tinted windows. So already I'm like, I'm stereotyping, I gotta be careful here. The door opens up, hand comes out inconspicuous, and drops the coffee cup closes the door and his window's halfway open. I picked up the cup and I threw it back in his window. He threw it back at me, hit me in the head, it was all over me. I picked up, I threw it back in. No words were really exchanged. He he couldn't believe I'd done that. What are you doing? Be that as it may, I was wrong. There was a better way of handling it. I could have easily picked it up and said, I'll throw it away. But do me a favor from now on. But I didn't because I, the pilot light was on. And he touched the button. And I was enraged. And I remember how it stayed with me for a couple of hours because I could have went fist to cuffs with these two guys. And, you know, who could have been worse? But the point is that it really threw me off Internally. I was aggravated. I was upset with myself. I could have handled it in a better manner. I, I should have used it as a teaching objective moment to say, hey, guys, you know what I mean? But I didn't because I had the pilot light was on and, and I, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to I want to do battle right away. But we have those pilot lights, don't we? Yes. And when we go through, doesn't it throw us off? And, you know, I, I, I want God to deal with all those pilot lights in my personal life. So anyway, I think it's epidemic. I think it's it's part of life here. And uh, let me just get on with what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, most of us know that it's his constitution of the kingdom of God. It's the constitution of what it means to be a believer and to live in God's kingdom. It's how true believers do Christianity. And this is important. This is not about how a person is saved or saves themselves. But it's what a true believer who has repented and accepted Christ on his terms through faith, by grace, and Christ alone, and the transformation that slowly takes place in his heart, you will see the Sermon on the Mount. You will count the joy to be persecuted. You will you will you will hunger and thirst to be more righteous like Christ. You will be blessed as we're humbled, because the humble are always exalted. And we can go on and on and on. It's regeneration by the Holy Spirit that starts to work out this Sermon on the Mount in our hearts. And, and let me make it a point here. Jesus Christ, in his ministry, this is the beginning of his earthly ministry, beginning of his ministry on earth. He's 30 years old, maybe 31 years old, somewhere around there. And from the time he was 12 years old, he went to temple. From the time he was 12, he sat under the teaching of the Pharisees. From the time he was 12, because that's when Luke teaches us, around 12, he was caught up in the temple, debating with the scholars. We see his theological mind was turned on. And from a sensitive age, he recognized that Judaism is not what it's, what it's supposed to be. He rebuked the Pharisees for teaching traditions, he rebuked the Pharisees from the heart was far from God. They worship me with their mouths, but the hearts are far from me. And he's finally coming into his own. He's like, now I can finally express what I've been watching my entire life. People are going to temple and their hearts are enraged inside. This is not advice from Christ. This is not from Christ. Hearing about something. He's not interpreting the Old Testament coldness. He has lived under his contemporary coldness of his time. For the better part of the 30 years of his life, he has seen it. He has seen the hypocrisy. He has seen the teaching of the Pharisees. They can lecture about Moses, but their hearts are still cold. And that's what he is addressing. Cold, heartless religion. Jesus is addressing some finer points of theology, namely the fulfilling of the law. Jesus was accused of subverting the law of Moses by teaching other things, teaching this faith and this grace. And Jesus never said, Moses, Moses, Moses. You never see Jesus saying, the law said this or the law said that, though he does do that, but he's also saying at the same time, you heard that it was said, but I say unto you, that was subverting Moses. Diminishing Moses. But actually what he was saying, he was actually fulfilling the law. And how was he doing that? He was living out its intentions, its God's intentions, and God's motive for humanity to live out the law. Jesus Christ, though he fulfilled the ceremonial law that all pointed to his sacrifice on the altar for our sins, was also living out the moral law. Some scholars think, well, he's only talking about the ceremonial law, that it was uh, shadows, uh, uh, types and shadows that pointed to Christ, and he fulfilled that. But no, Jesus Christ fulfilled the moral law. Adam was supposed to obey from the heart. Adam was supposed to say, no, we're not going to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I I won't sin against Jehovah God. And that man, that first Adam, failed. But understand something. That's the covenant of works. That has to be fulfilled by a man. Otherwise, there's no salvation. Otherwise, God's not holy. He's not just. He's not righteous. He's not God. Basically, you can do whatever you want. No, the law has to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ, our Savior, fulfilled the law. He perfectly Fulfilled the law as a man. He never ever, one time in his whole life, ever relied on divinity to keep the law of God. Never once. Any temptation that ever came his way, he didn't have to muscle up his supernatural God divine strength. He lived as a man. But he didn't have a sin nature. It's hard for you and me to recognize how can that possibly be? since we're so moved to and fro by our sinful temptations and motions. But understand something, for Christ, for Christ, he saw the beauty of the law. He fulfilled the law. He's like, sin? I, want to f- I have the law. Why sin? Why would I want to sin against God? I enjoy fulfilling the law. It wasn't a duty to Christ. It was a joy of Christ. So when he says, I fulfilled the law, he's saying this. I went to temple and never once was angry with anybody. I gave my gift to God and never once held a resentment towards anybody. There's appropriate anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. There's a time of deep concern to be moved to a point of hating what God hates, but not hating a person. We'll get into what the text is actually saying now, but I want you to understand something. Jesus Christ lived life as a man, tempted in every way, but without sin. That is unique to the Christian gospel. Please understand something. Jesus Christ never, ever sinned in word, deed, thought, emotion, temptation attitude, motive, agenda, ever. I just want to fast forward over here on a couple of things. Jesus here is finally getting to the root of the problem. The commandment said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus goes further and says, you are not even lost." The Bible said, do not kill. Jesus goes beyond that and says, even if you have anger in your heart, you have killed. See, what Jesus is doing, he's given the interpretation of the heart of the Old Testament law. Not like the Pharisees. What the Pharisees did, they lectured on Moses. But yet they never drove the point home into the heart. And Jesus is saying now, It's coming out, the son of God, heavenly doctrine, heavenly insight, piercing through to let us know what's really on God's heart, and anger between brothers and sisters in Christ, off limits. Unacceptable. Can you say that with me? Unacceptable. Unacceptable. (coughs) Zero tolerance. So much so, we have to grasp this truth that he says, even if you say raka or you fool or insult, you're liable to what? The fires of hell. I mean, this is not rhetorical. This is not hyperbole. This is not oh, an exaggerated example because he wants to make a good point. He's shown us the depth of depravity in the heart. Anger is the antithesis of who? Of God. God is what? Jesus prefaces his remarks with the self-authenticating. You heard that it was said of old. That's Moses. But I say unto you. This is what he's saying. But I say unto you. The heart of the commandment. Intended by God. Spoken through Moses. Interpreted perfectly. By Jesus. I say unto you, I've lived it out. I know what Moses meant when he said, you shall not murder. Let me tell you what it meant. No premeditated thought at all. Seven words used for murder or kill in the Old Testament. This one has, carries with it the, the, the connotation of premeditated. It's not a crime of passion. It's a thought of out sinister process to deliberately hate. Choosing to hate. Choosing to be angry. That's murder. This is radical teaching. So almost so radical is this if you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, chapter seven, it says, we've never heard anyone speak with such authority before. Let's go to what text? Today is about what I'm speaking about inner anger, but specifically, as Jesus says to brothers, this is about believers. Of course, it would a greater application to all humanity. But Jesus is concerned about genuine worship. Jesus is concerned about coming to the altar. Jesus is concerned about saying, God, I love you. Jesus is concerned about having a proper understanding of the reconciliatory nature of Jesus Christ's atonement because there is no no uh, religion unless Christ dies for our sins and reconciles us to the Father. All of Christianity is about reconciliation, period. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to worship God, who has reconciled you to himself, then you have to be reconciled one to another. Amen. Forgive our debts as who have sinned against us. Let me stop you. And to drive it home to our own lives, it's so you to have those pilot buttons. It's so human to have those things that we just haven't dealt with properly. It's so human to not to really bring things properly to God. It's so human. I could have easily, I wanted to, next time I will, I'll go up to with the paper cup and say, pardon me, I live here. Would you mind? I'll throw this away. But from now, on, and use it. That's my next thing. I had to learn the hard way because I don't want that feeling of tension anymore. Me and my wife, I don't want the feelings of, you know, years ago we just said we can't, we can't live like this. We just, let's, 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 let's talk civilly to one another. Let's walk through this. Let's use the principle of grace. We both need Christ in our life. Let's be Christian husbands and Christian wives that love one another and have each other's best interest in our hearts. Let's not use each other's weaknesses as weapons of warfare to tear each other down. He says, you have heard that it was said that those of old you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But Jesus says, but I say unto you that everyone who is angry, just angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. There's three elements in these verses that I want to speak about. And this is how it is. First, it's anger towards a believer. It's a specific type of anger. It's an anger that, that manifests in the heart, one believer to another believer, when both believers understand that the whole thing has been about reconciliation to God through Christ. And yet, anger is deliberately held onto in spite of the knowledge that you and I have been reconciled to Christ. It's saying, I'm reconciled, But I will not be reconciled to anybody. I am deliberately holding on to the anger and resentment in my heart. Even if we never ever struggled with that, the thought that it exists as a human emotion is serious. In these verses, Jesus used these three, seven words. But I say unto you, He sums up the depth of the sin that lies behind anger. This deliberate act of the will to stand in judgment as prosecuting attorney, judge, and jury over another human being, especially a believer in Christ. By condemning it it to eternal judgment It goes to highlight the serious nature, the danger of anger. Just like lust is so dangerous that you have to do what? Rip out the eye. Cut off the arm if it's causing you to sin. But even a one-eyed man can still be lustful, amen? So that's not the answer. So Jesus is without a doubt talking deeper into the soul on that one. But he's just letting anger, when it manifests, and we all know it, we've experienced it, we've exercised it. There's no room for that in worshiping God. I can easily, by the word of God, make it plain that those who are angry have no idea what life is about. You just can't. Anger takes life of its own on. It becomes the boss. It becomes the ruling party. It determines on what you're going to do what you're going to say. It owns us. It's a slave master. It could be at a period of time there's someone in our life that we're angry with, whether real or perceived, makes no difference. That pushes that button and we live in a constant state as hangman, judge juror standing in judgment of another human being and we're going to get on to the seriousness of it because he gives us two examples now whether we call someone fool or we insult somebody he gives us these two examples of anger being exercised and this is this is the sinister nature of anger he's not we get a picture of a man like flailing in his arms like me, sort of with the coffee cup that day, you know, angry, you know, and you know, and, and getting it. But that's not what's going on over here. The two expressions are with the mouth, with the tongue. Insults, or calling someone a or calling someone a fool, in Hebrew to be derogatory to another man's character was defamation of character. That was that was a no-no in the Jewish. Community. People lived by their lived by your name to insult someone to, to insinuate and to bring curses down on someone was to defamation of their character that, that cost your livelihood your whole family's name was marred That's why when we see the Christ hanging on the cross, and what did they do? They hurled. You did that to criminals. So when people would do that in the Jewish community, what you're saying is that you're a criminal, and you're no good for nothing. Defamation of character. See, we don't realize how much words hurt that the Jew knew. The tongue is like a fire. It's like a rudder. And it can tear down and it can build up. Anger had that way. Being derogatory had that way. Patty, would you take that pizza, back there? So we see what's going on over here. That this is not a man with a club in his hand going to kill somebody. This is a man with anger in the heart. This is a woman with anger in the heart that's killing with words. And what we have here is that when we do that, what Jesus is saying, you're stripping the dignity of another human being that was created in the image. Only God has a right to judge God. We always have to remember when that pilot light goes off like it did for me in the car that day that no matter whose hand came out and threw the garbage on the floor because I stereotyped it. You know, I, I profiled the whole thing. Anybody who throws garbage out is profiled already in my mind. I realize something. They're created in the image of God. I don't have a right. Because one of my pet peeves was stepped on. The law of Brian Martin was, was broken. And now you're going to pay the price. I've been waiting for you. See, that was unfinished business in my heart. And I only use that as an example because we could all have more and more of those pilot lights going on. This really was stripping a person's dignity and had long-lasting effects. But it became rampant in the time of Christ. Christ saw this. And he saw the same people going where? The synagogue. Going to temple. He's talking about the hypocrisy. It is an absolute zero tolerance and this is why God loves us too much. This is not God being angry with us when we fail in this area. God is saying, come up higher, child. Live in a higher plane of existence. Live and worship me. That's where true life is found. While you're down there in the anger, in the resentment, in the insults, in calling people fools, in defamation and being derogatory, you're a trillion miles away from me, child of God. You see, here's where it comes to be. We change into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, when we behold his glory, that's worship. That's when we come together and the, and the scriptures are explained and we see Christ in every iota, and every dot, tittle of the law. We see Christ in his magnificent, redeeming glory and it breaks the human heart of its pride and its arrogance and its anger and I'm changed into his glory because we're worshiping God. If 10 and 20 years are going on and it's just festering and it's just there, you don't need a self-help book. You don't need to go to a, a seminar. you We need to look inside and say, God, when I'm worshiping you, deal with these things in my heart, forgive me, Father. And He gives us the answer. Father, when I come to drop off the gift to thee at the altar, and I remember. You know why you're going to remember? Because if you're a genuine believer and you're coming into the presence of God, you can't come into the presence of God with anger and resentment in your heart. I can't pray before I pray. I gotta get right with God. It's 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 not an exercise. It's a spontaneous reality of being in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I can't prepare a sermon before all of a sudden things going off all right. Am I right here, God? I'm not on some kind of quest, some kind of paranoid religious quest. But when you're so close to God, God reminds you of things. Amen. Amen. That's God's job. That's worship. Half the time was worship's going on, I'm crying because I love the Lord and I'm crying over my sins that he's reminding me of. And I'm getting right with God at the right time when you're in worship. I think sometimes we miss the correlation between genuine worship that transforms the heart and methodologies of trying to change ourselves. I really do. I think a lot of people in the Christian church are trying to change themselves and to be better. I don't want to be a better Brian Martin. I found that out. Because I'm a better Brian Martin. Guess what? I'm still, I'm still Brian Martin. I need to be transformed into something much better than a better Brian Martin. Because even at my best, I'm never that great. It's Christ. And it's worship of Christ that brings us into this change and transform place where we're reminded of the stuff that still has to go. So we can bring it to God, these impediments of anger and resentment. I can go on, I can go on, I can go on, but I won't. That's where I'm going to stay. So how do we deal with the ongoing resentments? Let me talk about some application, whether real or perceived. We are all reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. It's the principle of grace. Let me start by saying this. No one has a right to be angry. That's it. I don't care how much I fail my wife and my wife fails me. We don't have a right to be angry. And we're concerned, but a right to be angry? I'm going to be God now? and I'm going to withhold my emotion I'm going to withhold my love I'm going to withhold forgiveness in some aloof way to withhold forgiveness to withhold mercy to withhold compassion I remember when me and Terry were talking about this and I share this because this is, this is what pastors do and I remember there was a couple of times when I deserve to get scolded. And she gave me grace. That's what changes me. And of course, vice versa. Grace changes. That doesn't mean we don't talk about failures and disappointments and hurts. We talk about that in a very communicable way. Always remembering of what Christ has done for us, our whole relationship. My whole relationship, not just with my wife, but those two people in the car. I have no idea who they are. I have to approach that, 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 that pilot button with an understanding that God has reconciled me to himself through Jesus Christ. I have no right to be angry. Or who's throwing garbage anywhere? Are you with me? Amen. I share a couple of things in my life. We all got our pilot lights. Let's bring it before the Lord. Let's, 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 let's get closer to Christ. Let's not hold, withhold forgiveness. Let's remember that people that throw garbage out of the car, they're, they're in ignorance. And we're the teachers. I gotta remind myself. I got to remind myself that I'm still human and my wife is still human and we're still human and we're working out our marriage in fear and trembling before the Lord. I'm working out my relationship with my brothers and sisters in fear and trembling before the Lord. I'm working out my relationship with the rest of the world in fear and trembling before the Lord. Let not anger own us anymore. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word that's ever enlightening. Remove this malady of our heart, Father God. And I thank you for the gift of asking someone for forgiveness. I thank you for that, God. I thank you for the gift of when I know and reminded that my brother has something against me because I offended him. Or my sister I have offended. Or my wife I have offended. Or the congregation I have offended. Or you I have offended. That I can go. I can go by the mercy and compassion of God and be reconciled. I thank you, God for strengthening us with the power of reconciliation in Jesus' name.